Chapter Eight of The Girl from Montana by Grace Livingston Hill. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Eight: The Parting. She took the news like a Spartan. Her gentle pity was simply expressed, and then she held her peace. He must go. He must leave her. She knew that the train would carry him to his mother's bedside quicker than a horse could go. She felt by the look in his eyes and the set of his mouth that he had already decided that. Of course he must go. And the lady was there, too. His mother and the lady. The lady would be sorry by this time and would love him. Well, it was all right. He had been good to her. He had been a strong, bright angel God had sent to help her out of the wilderness. And now that she was safe, the angel must return to his heaven. This was what she thought. He had gone into the station to inquire about the train. It was an hour late. He had one short hour in which to do a great deal. He had very little money with him. Naturally, men do not carry a fortune when they go out into the wilderness for a day's shooting. Fortunately, he had his railroad return ticket to Philadelphia. That would carry him safely. But the girl, she of course had no money. And where was she going? He realized that he had failed to ask her many important questions. He hurried out and explained to her, The train is an hour late. We must sell our horses and try to get money enough to take us east. It is the only way. Where do you intend going? But the girl stiffened in her seat. She knew it was her opportunity to show that she was worthy of his honor and respect. I cannot go with you, she said very quietly. But you must, he said impatiently. Don't you see there is no other way? I must take this train and get to my mother as soon as possible. She may not be living when I reach her if I don't. Something caught in his throat as he uttered the horrible thought that kept coming to his mind. I know, said the girl quietly. You must go, but I must ride on. And why, I should like to know. Those villains may be upon us at any minute. In fact, it is a good thing for us to board the train and get out of their miserable country as fast as steam can carry us. I am sorry you must part with your horse, for I know you are attached to it, but perhaps we can arrange to sell it to someone who will let us redeem it when we send the money out. You see, I have not money enough with me to buy you a ticket. I couldn't get home myself if I had my return ticket with me in my pocket. But surely the sale of both horses will bring enough to pay your way. You are very kind, but I must not go. The red lips were firm, and the girl was sitting very erect. She looked as she had done after she had shot the bird. But why? I cannot travel alone with you. It is not your custom where you come from. The woman on the ranch told me. She said you knew girls did not do that, and that you did not respect me for going alone with you. She said it was not right, and that you knew it. He looked at her, impatient, angry, half ashamed that she should face him with these words. Nonsense, said he. This is a case of necessity. You are to be taken care of, and I am the one to do it. But it is not the custom among people where you live, is it? The clear eyes faced him down, and he had to admit that it was not. Then I can't go, she said decidedly. But you must. If you don't, I won't go. But you must, said the girl, and I mustn't. If you talk that way, I'll run away from you. 
I've run away from one man, and I guess I can from another. Besides, you're forgetting the lady. What lady? Your lady. The lady who rides in a carriage without horses. Hang the lady, he said inelegantly. Do you know that the train will be along here in less than an hour, and we have a great deal to do before we can get on board? There's no use stopping to talk about this matter. We haven't time, and if you will just trust things to me, I'll attend to them all, and I'll answer your questions when we get safely on the train. Every instant is precious. Those men might come around that corner over there any minute. That's all bosh about respect. I respect you more than any woman I've ever met and it's my business to take care of you. No, it's not your business, said the girl bravely, and I can't let you. I am nothing to you, you know. You're every, that is, why, surely you know you're a great deal to me. Why, you saved my life, you know. Yes, and you saved mine. That was beautiful, but that's all. Isn't that enough? What are you made of, anyway? to sit there when there's so much to be done, and those villains on our track, and insist that you won't be saved. Respect you? Why, a lion in the wilderness would have to respect you. You're made of iron and steel and precious stones. You've the courage of a, a, I was going to say a man, but I mean an angel. You're pure as snow and true as the heavenly blue and firm as a rock, and if I had never respected you before, I would have to now. I respect, I honor, I, 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 I pray for you, he finished fiercely. He turned his back to hide his emotion. She lifted her eyes to his when he turned again, and her own were full of tears. Thank you, she said it very simply. That makes me very glad, but I cannot go with you. Do you mean that, he asked her desperately. Yes, steadily. "'Then I shall have to stay, too.' "'But you can't. You must go to your mother. I won't be stayed with. And what would she think? Mothers are everything,' she finished. "'You must go quick and get ready. What can I do to help?' He gave her a look, which she remembered long years afterward. It seemed to burn and sear its way into her soul. How was it that a stranger had the power to scorch her with anguish this way?' and she him. He turned, still with that desperate, half-frantic look in his face, and accosted two men who stood at the other end of the platform. They were not in particular need of a horse at present, but they were always ready to look at a bargain, and they walked speculatively down the uneven boards of the platform with him to where his horse stood and inspected it. The girl watched the whole proceeding with eyes that saw naught but into the future. She put in a word about the worth of the saddle once, when she saw it was going lower than it should. Three other men gathered about before the bargain was concluded, and the horse and its equipments sold for about half its value. That done, the man turned toward the girl and motioned to her to lead her horse away to a more quiet place and set him down to plead steadily against her decision. But the talk and the horse selling had taken more time than he realized, the girl was more decided than ever in her determination not to go with him. She spoke of the lady again. She spoke of his mother, and mothers in general, and finished by reminding him that God would take care of her, and of him too. 
Then they heard the whistle of the train, and saw it growing from a speck to a large black object across the plain. To the girl, the sight of this strange machine, that seemed more like a creature rushing toward her to snatch all beauty and hope and safety from her, sent a thrill of horror. To the man it seemed like a dreaded fate that was tearing him asunder. He had barely time to divest himself of his powder horn and a few little things that might be helpful to the girl in her journey before the train was halting at the station. Then he took from his pocket the money that had been paid him for his horse, and selecting a five-dollar bill for himself, he wrapped the rest in an envelope bearing his own name and address. The envelope was one addressed by the lady at home. It had contained some gracefully worded refusal of a request. But he did not notice now what envelope he gave her. Take this, he said. It will help a little. Yes, you must. I cannot leave you. I will not, unless you do. When he saw that she hesitated and looked doubtful, I owe you all and more for saving my life. I can never repay you. Take it. You may return it sometime when you get plenty more of your own, if it hurts your pride to keep it. Take it, please. Yes, I have plenty for myself. You will need it, and you must stop at nice places overnight. You will be very careful, won't you? My name is on that envelope. You must write to me and let me know that you are safe. Someone is calling you, and that thing is beginning to move again, said the girl, an awesome wonder in her face. You will be left behind. Oh, hurry, quick, your mother. He half turned toward the train and then came back. You haven't told me your name, he gasped. Tell me, quick. She caught her breath. Elizabeth, she answered, and waved him from her. The conductor of the train was shouting to him, and two men shoved him toward the platform. He swung himself aboard with the accustomed ease of a man who has traveled, but he stood on the platform and shouted, Where are you going? as the train swung noisily off. She did not hear him, but waved her hand and gave him a bright smile that was brimming with unshed tears. It seemed like instant, daring suicide in him to stand on that swaying, clattering house as it moved off irresponsibly down the plane of vision. She watched him till he was out of sight, a mere speck on the horizon of the prairie, and then she turned her horse slowly into the road and went her way into the world alone. The man stood on the platform and watched her as he whirled away, a little brown girl on a little brown horse, so staunch and firm and stubborn and good. Her eyes were dear and her lips as she smiled, and her hand was beautiful as it waved him goodbye. She was dear, dear, dear. Why had he not known it? Why had he loved her? Yet how could he stay? His mother was dying, perhaps. He must not fail her in what might be her last summons. Life and death were pulling at his heart, tearing him asunder. The vision of the little brown girl and the little brown horse blurred and faded. He tried to look, but could not see. He brought his eyes to nearer vision, to fix their focus for another look, and straight before him whirled a shackly old saloon, rough and tumble, its character apparent from the men who were grouped about its doorway, and from the barrels and kegs in profusion outside. From the doorway issued four men, wiping their mouths and shouting hilariously. Four horses stood tied to a fence nearby. They were so instantly passed, and so vaguely seen, 
that he could not be sure in the least, but those four men reminded him strongly of the four who had passed the schoolhouse on Sunday. He shuddered and looked back. The little brown horse and the little brown girl were one with the little brown station so far away, and presently the saloon and men were blotted out in one blur of green and brown and yellow. He looked to the ground in his despair. He must go back. He could not leave her in such peril. She was his to care for by all the rights of manhood and womanhood. She had been put in his way. It was his duty. But the ground whirled by under his madness and showed him plainly that to jump off would be instant death. Then the thought of his mother came again, and the girl's words, I am nothing to you, you know. The train whirled its way between two mountains and the valley, and the green and brown and yellow blur were gone from sight. He felt as if he had just seen the coffin close over the girl's sweet face, and he had done it. By and by, he crawled into the car, pulled his slouch hat down over his eyes, and settled down in a seat. But all the time he was trying to see over again that old saloon and those four men, and to make out their passing identity. Sometimes the agony of thinking it all over, and trying to make out whether those men had been the pursuers, made him feel frantic and it seemed as if he must pull the bell cord and make the train stop and get off to walk back. Then the utter hopelessness of ever finding her would come over him, and he would settle back in his seat again and try to sleep. But the least drowsiness would bring a vision of the girl galloping alone over the prairie with the four men in full pursuit behind. Elizabeth, 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 the car wheels seemed to say, Elizabeth. That was all he had of her. He did not know the rest of her name, nor where she was going. He did not even know where she had come from. Just Elizabeth and Montana. If anything happened to her, he would never know. Oh, why had he left her? Why had he not made her go with him? In a case like that, a man should assert his authority. But then, it was true he had none, and she had said she would run away. She would have done it, too. Oh, if it had been anything but sickness and possible death at the other end. And his mother, his own little mother. Nothing else would have kept him from staying to protect Elizabeth. What a fool he had been. There were questions he might have asked, and plans they might have made, all those beautiful days and those moon-silvered nights. If any other man had done the same, he would have thought him lacking mentally. But here he had maundered on, and never found out the all-important things about her. Yet, how did he know then how important they were to be? It had seemed as if they had all the world before them in the brilliant sunlight. How could he know that modern improvements were to seize him in the midst of a prairie waste, and whirl him off from her when he had just begun to know what she was, and to prize her company as a most precious gift dropped down from heaven at his feet? By degrees, he came out of his hysterical frenzy and returned to a somewhat normal state of mind. He reasoned himself several times into the belief that those men were not in the least like the men he had seen Sunday. He knew that one could not recognize one's own brother at that distance and that rate of passing speed. He tried to think that Elizabeth would be cared for. She had come through many a danger, and was it likely that the God in whom she trusted who had guarded her so many times in her great peril, would desert her now in her dire need? Would he not raise up help for her somewhere? 
perhaps another man as good as he and as trustworthy as he had tried to be would find her and help her but that thought was not pleasant he put it away impatiently it cut him why had she talked so much about the lady the lady ah how was it the lady came no more into his thoughts the memory of her haughty face no more quickened his heartbeats was he fickle that he could lose what he had supposed was a lifelong passion in a few days the darkness was creeping on where was elizabeth had she found a refuge for the night or was she wandering on an unknown trail hearing voices and oaths through the darkness and seeing the gleaming of wild eyes low in the bushes ahead how could he have left her how could he he must go back even yet he must he must he must and so it went on through the long night the train stopped at several places to take on water but there seemed to be no human habitation near or else his eyes were dim with his trouble once when they stopped longer than the other times he got up and walked the length of the car and down the steps to the ground he even stood there and let the train start jerkily on till his car had passed him and the steps were just sliding by and tried to think whether he would not stay and go back in some way to find her then the impossibility of the search and of his getting back in time to do any good helped him to spring on board just before it was too late he walked back to his seat saying to himself fool fool it was not till morning that he remembered his baggage and went in search of it there he found a letter from his cousin with other letters and telegrams explaining the state of affairs at home he came back to his seat laden with a large leather grip and a suitcase he sat down to read his letters and these took his mind away from his troubled thoughts for a little while there was a letter from his mother sweet graceful half wistfully offering her sympathy he saw she guessed the reason why he had left her and gone to this far place dear little mother what would she say if she knew his trouble now and then would return his heart frenzy over elizabeth's peril oh to know that she was protected hidden fumbling in his pocket he came upon a slip of paper the slip the girl had given elizabeth in the schoolhouse on sunday afternoon for in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion in the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me ah god had hidden her then why not again and what was that he had said to her himself when searching for a word to cover his emotion i pray for you why could he not pray she had made him pray in the wilderness should he not pray for her who was in peril now he leaned back in the hot uncomfortable car seat pulling his hat down closer over his eyes and prayed as he had never prayed before our father he stumbled through as far as he could remember and tried to think how her sweet voice had filled in the places where he had not known it the other time then when he was done he waited and prayed our father care for elizabeth and added for jesus sake amen thereafter through the rest of his journey and for days and weeks stretching ahead he prayed that prayer and sometimes found in it his only solace from the terrible fear that possessed him lest some harm had come to the girl whom it seemed to him now he had deserted in cold blood End of chapter eight